0: Pastor John, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here uh, with you today and to deliver God's word. You know, uh, we're in week five of our series Unbreakable, and today I really wanted to focus on God's promise of rest. And I think it's no matter which way you slice it, it's it's a timely promise. It's one that we we could use pre-pandemic, but it's one we certainly need now in this season. You know, it's a promise I think we all need to embrace as this long and weary year wears on, because we all need rest. But oftentimes we find it elusive, and even during the best of times, we can find it hard to receive, hard to grasp, hard to get in touch with. In fact, did you know that we Americans are the world's leaders in sleep deprivation and lack of rest. We are. And I wanted to share with you some interesting statistics. I don't know if you can, <laughs> if you can uh, identify with this image here. I, I think I've experienced that quite a few times, especially this year. But here's some important statistics to, to consider. Here in Virginia, 36% of adults are getting insufficient sleep. That's more than a third of us are getting insufficient sleep. 66% of sleep-deprived adult, uh, Americans can't sleep because they're anxious about finances. 50 to 70 million adults have chronic sleep loss or a sleep disorder. And only one in seven adults set aside a day a week for rest. One in seven of us set aside a day a week for rest. And here's the depressing part. Of those 1 in 7, only about 19% reported that they don't do any work on that day of rest. Which means the other 81% are doing work on their day of rest. Only 16% of Americans commit to daily time alone. Only 21% set aside time to be with God. And only 12% engage in activities that recharge. And here's a really convicting statistic. Only 12% of American adults say they intentionally set aside a time of day, not a day, but a time of day, to disconnect from their electronic devices. Only 12% of us. Chances are, you can likely identify with one of these statistics that I shared. You know, just because we're followers of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that we're immune to the ills of a restless society, and we're certainly not in a unique position. Uh, You know, we have uh, modern pressures and technology thrown into the mix, but people way back in the 4th century were also searching for a rest that would satisfy their deepest need during their busy lives. And St. Augustine of Hippo, who was one of the most famous early theologians of the church, uh, pondered this issue. And I want to share with you what he wrote about God. He said, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. So our hearts are restless until they find rest in God because God made us that way. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we believe that we can only find rest in God. But if that's the case, why is it that we have such a hard time with rest? Well, this morning I want to share with you four reasons that we have a hard time with rest that I found in scripture. And One of the things that I think is important is we need to understand the problem in order to understand how we can best experience God's promise of rest. And so one reason that we have a hard time with rest is we look in the wrong places for it. If you've got your sermon notes or a piece of paper handy, jot that down. The prophet Isaiah encountered this problem in his day hundreds of years before Jesus was born. His people were spinning their wheels, chasing after rest in so many ways that they were absolutely exhausted. And this is what Isaiah wrote to the people in chapter 55, verse 2. He says, "'Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare.'" What Isaiah is saying here is we're looking for rest in the wrong places. We often don't know what to look for, and so we haphazardly go from experience to experience. And we may find some measure of satisfaction for a short time, but it always fades. And then we're searching, we're on the hunt for our next fix of temporary rest, The problem is that we settle for counterfeit versions of true rest way too easily. And another word for that is idolatry. If we're made for God and the rest that we need is only found in God, to attempt to find rest elsewhere is to ascribe to that person, place, thing, or activity the status that only God should have. And that was the problem of ancient Israel that Isaiah was trying to uncover You can't find rest when you're looking for it in the wrong places. Another reason that we have such a hard time with rest is we're caught up in a system of anxiety. We're caught up in a system of anxiety. You know, one of the best books that I've read all year is called Sabbath as Resistance by Walter Brueggemann. It's all about the Sabbath command as God's alternative to the demands of an anxious society that transforms neighbors into competitors and threats. And the book is grounded in the story of ancient Israel, caught up in just such a system in Egypt, where they were enslaved. And so the book of Exodus gives us a glimpse of what their lives look like. And so let's look at Exodus chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, which reads, "...the Egyptians made the people of Israel work very hard." They made their lives bitter with hard work, building with stones and with all kinds of work in the field. They made them work very hard. You know, in addition to all this, the Egyptians had the Israelite slaves making bricks for them. In fact, this is what those bricks likely look like. And as you can see, um, their straw... Uh, stuck there in the bricks, and that was done so that the bricks would adhere, that they would stay together. It was, it was a bonding agent, if you will. And here's why that's important. When Moses came to Egypt, he went and had an audience with Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt. And he said to Pharaoh, let my people go into the wilderness so that they can worship the Lord. But Pharaoh flatly refused Moses. And instead, and not not just flatly refusing, what, what Pharaoh did was he said to the taskmasters, you will no longer provide straw for the Israelite slaves. Instead, they will be expected to collect their own straw, but the quota, the number of bricks that they have to complete each day would remain exactly the same. Now, why do you think he did that? I think it's because an anxious system demands of us an endless production to satisfy an insatiable desire for more. This was true for Pharaoh. It was true for the taskmasters under Pharaoh. And it was true for the slaves as well. All were caught up in a system that was concerned more about commodity than community. Concerned more about commodity than community. More about things than about relationships, about the people. And we see that same anxiety reflected in our own society, the worry that we'll never have enough, that we need to compete with one another to get ahead. When we watch TV, we see endless commercials of the very next best product that will fulfill that desire that you have for rest. If you buy this product, it will give you exactly what you hope for. And we buy into it knowing full well that the last product we bought wasn't the answer. You know, churches throughout the centuries have long accepted and supported as social systems which make no claim to be Christian and sometimes blatantly violate the teachings of Jesus. Sometimes we blame individuals for the difficulties in which they find themselves while failing to understand that these problems are merely products of the unchristian system in which we live. True rest is trusting that the well-being of creation doesn't depend on endless work. True rest is recognizing the people around us as our neighbors and not as competitors or threats. The Israelite people found true rest from the system of anxiety by leaving Egypt behind and accepting a new system in the Sinai desert. Now, another way that we, uh, another reason that we have a hard time with rest is we fear not having enough if we rest. I can't tell you how anxious I was when I first started to tithe, when I first started to give 10% of all that I made to the Lord. Um, I, you know, I, I, I believe that God would provide for me, but In the back of my mind, there was this fear. What if there's a medical emergency? What if there is an expense that I would need this extra amount to cover? There was the constant temptation to hold on to my tithe, to provide for myself in case of a rainy day. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that there's no need to be anxious. Anxiety leads to ways of living that violate God's intention For our lives. In fact, God knows every need and will provide for us. One of my favorite scriptures in the Gospel of Matthew speaks to this when Jesus says, So don't worry about these things, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Jesus tells us to seek first God's kingdom. It's another way of saying seek first God's will in your life, or seek the kind of life that pleases God, because that's how you find rest. You'll never have enough if you measure enough by the standard of this world, but you'll have everything you need if you seek first God's best for your life and for all of creation. Now, we also have a hard time with rest because we let others define rest for us. We let others define rest for us. What do I mean by that? Well, let's take the Pharisees, the religious teachers of Jesus' day, and their attitude towards Sabbath as an example. You know, by the time Jesus was born, Sabbath observance was placed as a high pillar of the Jewish faith. And the reason for this is Sabbath was a way that preserved the identity of the people while they were in Babylonian exile, long after the temple had been destroyed. So Sabbath observance was critical. But the way that Jesus interpreted rest was far different from the way that the Pharisees interpreted rest. Check out what happened when Jesus went on a walk with his disciples on one Sabbath day. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. The Sabbath command is necessary because it ends our slavery to a system of anxiety, but depending on how it's lived, it can create even more anxiety. You know, by Jesus' day, there were 39 classifications of work to be avoided on the Sabbath. And these classifications weren't in the original commandment. But in the people's anxiety to enter God's rest, they felt the need to define rest more and more specifically. And this became a burden rather than a blessing to the people. And here, Jesus tells the religious leaders that when King David was on the run and hungry, he went to to the tabernacle, to the sanctuary, and the priests there gave him the showbread, the bread that was set aside before the Lord, set apart to only be eaten. By the priests. And what Jesus says is neither David nor the priests were considered guilty for this act of mercy. Jesus also pointed out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders who would not hesitate to, to rescue their sheep if it fell into a pit on the Sabbath day, but who also argued doing good to others was off limits and considered work. The religious leaders defined rest as sacrifice. But Jesus made it clear that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. You see, our very conception of rest may be off. Don't let others define rest for you. Align your heart with the way Jesus defines rest. Sabbath is made for human beings, not human beings for the Sabbath. It's a means of God's grace for us, not another burden to take on. Sabbath doesn't prohibit us from helping somebody in need. Sabbath isn't one more thing to squeeze into our busy schedule. It's an attitude of the heart, and it's something that you and I can experience, even today. So let's move to the most important question this morning. How can I experience the rest that God promises? And the first way is this. Choose rest over restlessness. Choose rest over restlessness. What I'm talking about here isn't merely committing to a day out of your week or a time out of your day. I'm talking about a complete regime change as as startling and as amazing as Israel leaving Egypt behind and moving into the desert. In fact, this very act of God's creative salvation as named, is named as the basis for the Sabbath command in the book of Deuteronomy. Check this out. Chapter 5, verse 15 reads, Why should you keep the Sabbath? It is because you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out with a great display of miracles. Now, many of you may be wondering, how does this apply to my life? I'm not Jewish. I've never stepped foot in Egypt, and I've never been a slave. Well, that may be true. You know, you may not be Jewish. You may have never stepped foot in Egypt, but are you so sure that you've never been a slave? You know, the New Testament witnesses that Jesus came in the flesh to rescue us, to save us, to set us free from the power of sin and death that had enslaved us. You see, the exodus is also our story, but in a spiritual sense. We were slaves of sin and death, and the Lord our God brought us out of that life and into a brand new life. It's a life that's characterized by and grounded in rest. It leaves behind the restlessness that used to drive us. In fact, one of the most profound things that Jesus says speaks to this very truth. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, and I will give you rest. All of you who work so hard beneath a heavy yoke, Wear my yoke, for it fits perfectly, and let me teach you, for I am gentle and humble, and you shall find rest for your souls, for I give you only light burdens. Let's get the picture. There it is. This is what a yoke looks like. Now, a yoke is used to put two animals together to work, to work a field, Here's an interesting fact about a yoke. You can't simply put any old yoke on your ox. The ox needs to be fitted for a custom yoke, because if you put any old yoke on your ox, what happens is it, it, on the low end of things, it causes discomfort, but it could also cause sores, and it could badly injure the animal, preventing it from doing the work that you need it to do. Here's why I bring this up. You see, the world gives us an ill-fitting yoke that chafes against us and causes us pain. It's because we were never meant to live our lives in constant restlessness. Jesus offers us a new yoke that's custom-fit so we can find rest for our souls. Notice he doesn't say we won't have burdens, just only that the burdens that we do have will be light. It's because those burdens are easily outweighed by the working out of our purpose. All that we do flows from our state of being. Another way of saying this is that all of our doing flows out of our being. And so Jesus is saying that by shifting our being from anxiousness to abiding trust, the work we do that emerges from that place will no longer be a burden. It's the shift from anxiousness to abiding trust. That's the yoke that we're called to wear. And just as we learned last week, we're made to become like God and to serve God. And we do this by taking on the yoke of Jesus, the same Jesus who performed miracles and yet still took time away from the crowds and away from the busyness of first century life to be with his heavenly Father the same Jesus who moves us from a place of restlessness to a place of rest. Now, another way that we can experience God's promise of rest is to resist the temptation to multitask. And you're not going to like this one because we all multitask. I mean, that's the society that we live in right now. I, I can tell you on any given uh, and this is, this is conviction right here, um, uh, confession before you. On any given Sunday morning, in addition to listening to the sermon, I'm taking screenshots, I'm chatting, I'm doing all these things related to, to um, what it is that I do on Sunday mornings. And so I am always seem to be multitasking in some way or another. Is it part of my job? Absolutely. But that kind of thing will easily bleed over into my personal life as well. You know, I find it difficult to unplug from technology after, uh, for even more than a few minutes after a long day in front of a screen. And sometimes I find it hard to keep from doing church work on my day off. You know, in the book I mentioned before, uh, Walter Brueggemann's um, Sabbath as Resistance, he defines multitasking as the drive to be more than we are, to control more than we do, to extend our power and effectiveness. And you know what multitasking does? Multitasking yields a divided self with full attention given to nothing. Ancient Israel had that problem. Even while they were taking Sabbath, they were watching the sundial closely so that they would know the moment they could return to buying and selling. And God called them out on this. He even said that he no longer took pleasure in their worship gatherings because even though they were doing all the right things, they were saying all the right things, their hearts were far from God. You know, Martha, one of Jesus' closest friends, experienced this as well. Here's the story of Martha in the Gospel of Luke. Martha was distracted with much serving. Jesus told Martha that only one thing was necessary. Mary chose to rest with Jesus, and we are invited also to rest in Jesus. We can't experience the rest we need if our minds are busy on adding to our bank accounts, or resuming our work, or fixing the world, or a hundred other issues that may be on our hearts. By resisting the temptation to multitask, what we're doing is we're faithfully living for God alone, and refusing to box God into our agenda. Again, it's the difference between rest and restlessness. Another way that you can enter the rest that God promises is to monitor your quality of rest. Monitor your quality of rest. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we're tempted to think watching a movie or doing some recreational activity is the same thing as God's promise of rest. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a huge fan of TV shows, and I consume more than my fair share of media. My wife can definitely attest to this. And it's possible to find rest while engaging in a recreational activity, but these things are primarily self-focused. True rest is always God-focused. Here's what King Solomon learns uh, about rest as he was pursuing pleasure. In Ecclesiastes 2.1, King Solomon says, I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be, what's the word? Meaningless. Meaningless. Rest that isn't focused in God can be rest, but of a lesser quality. Jesus often stepped aside during his ministry to pray and to be alone with his heavenly Father. We need to do the same. And this was the same Jesus who went to parties and ate at the houses of sinners. Yeah, Jesus engaged in activities that were recreational, but he also took time to experience God-focused rest. So is all your free time given over to recreational pursuits? Or have you carved out some of your free time in order to spend time with, with your heavenly Father through reading scripture, or prayer, or simply being still. The quality of our rest matters, and we need to monitor this if we hope to live into God's promise. Now, finally, the last way that I want to share with you this morning that we can enter God's rest is to find contentment in the simple joys of life. Find contentment in those simple joys. You know, being content doesn't come easily in a society that tries to convince us that we need to get the next best thing in order to keep up with the Joneses. Our society tries to convince us that we are in a place of scarcity, that we always need more, that we always need to pursue more. You know, the Apostle Paul had a rough life, and if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that right away. If you read the epistles, you'll be even more convinced of it. But in the letter to the Philippian church, which Paul wrote from jail, he wrote these words in chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Paul wrote, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What an amazing attitude. Paul knew the secret of being content. You see, when we receive the promise of God's rest, the joy of God's presence transcends our circumstances. Paul was in prison, but he was able to rest content in the simple joys of life. And those joys were the letters from his brothers and sisters in the faith, the gifts that they sent to him, and the prospect of preaching the gospel message in Rome, in the very heart of the Roman Empire. You see, when you find contentment in the simple joys of life, you come to recognize that every breath is a gift. Now, you may be thinking... But I can't rest. The world is a mess. How can I sit back? Well, let me tell you a story as we wrap this up. Two men were hired to clear a field full of trees. And these men were being paid per tree cut down. So there was an incentive for these men to cut down as many trees as they possibly could. Now, one of the men, named Bill... He wanted to be productive. He wanted to cut down the most trees, so he went in there swinging, and he cut down as many trees as he possibly could without any breaks, and by the end of the day, his muscles were just screaming at him. He was exhausted. But then his friend Ed seemed to be working only half as fast as Bill. Ed uh, even took time to sit down and to rest between chopping down trees. And at the end of the day, while Bill was exhausted and, and, and sore, Ed was laughing and telling jokes and smiling and in good spirits. And here's the thing that's really interesting. Ed had chopped down more trees than Bill. So Bill went up to Ed and said, How in the world is it possible when you wasted so much time resting that you cut down more trees than I did? And Ed simply smiled, and he said, Did you notice I was sharpening my axe while I was sitting? This is God's promise of rest for us. It's a sharpening of your purpose in Jesus, and a means of God's grace in a world of restlessness. It's from the place of rest that you emerge grounded and more able to meet the work that God is already doing with your own unique contribution. It's all about alignment. When you take the time to sharpen your axe, you'll be aligned with God's purpose for your life. You'll be better able to resist a way of life that demands more from you and offers little of substance in return. That God offers us the rest that we need is good news. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what it is that you're facing. I don't know what you're struggling with right now. But I do know what Jesus went through for us. And I do know right now you could use a little rest. When we receive the rest of God, when we take on the rest that Jesus offers us, Your burdens will be light. I'm willing to test the Lord in that. How about you? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful in Jesus Christ that you are here with us right now, that you speak to us powerfully, that you are constantly present. God, we need your rest. Help us, Lord, to to shift our thinking about what rest is help us lord to work through the difficulties we face with rest that lord we may enter that rest knowing lord that in that rest we are recharged our axe is sharpened so that we can go out into the world to do the work that you call us to do lord there is so much pain right now in the world there's so much sickness there's so much injustice But Lord, we will do you no good if we tire ourselves out. We won't be any good to anyone. So Lord, help us to balance our lives, to put on your yoke, to work ourselves, to to not work ourselves, to rest ourselves out of an anxious system and into an alternative that sets us free. That's what we need, Lord, this day. So God, let us enter your promise of rest. We need you, Lord, more than we can say. Thank you, God, for giving us exactly what we need for that custom-fit yoke that fits so well and makes our burdens so light. All of this we pray with gratitude and great expectation. In Jesus' holy name, amen.